0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are starting a new book today, In the Arena, by Isabel Kuhn, with permission of OMF International. This is uh, not the first chapter, but it is a chapter explaining the title. 1940. We were missionaries on the China-Burma border and had just received word that owing to the new dangers from the Japanese war, our mission was not allowing children whose parents live far away, to go home for the holidays. This meant that our Catherine, who was in the China Inland Mission School at Shifu, would not be able to reach us. As it was more than a year since she had seen her parents, it was decided that I would try to reach her. This meant travel on the Burma Road, and at one place it meant that I had to thumb a ride with a Chinese truck. I would, of course, pay for my passage, but this was the only way of procuring a vehicle at that time and place. So that raw November day saw me standing in the middle of the road, holding up my thumb to a Chinese driver who was careening merrily along toward me. I had always felt that womanly women did not do such things, but only desperate necessity would ever make me willing. But a mother who wants to reach her child will go through much. So there I was, holding up my thumb to this Chinese young fellow who drew his truck to a standstill and grinned at me. We bargained for a seat, and he doubtless never dreamed that this drab middle-aged white woman was cringing with humiliation inside. But I was. Reasonable or not, I have never forgotten that flush of shame. Once quietly installed in the truck, I talked in my heart to him who has always been my refuge. Lord, why do I have to be put in such situations as this? And immediately the words came, For I think that God hath set us forth, last, for we are made a spectacle unto the world. 1 Corinthians 4.9 A spectacle, that was just how I had felt. But it would never have been necessary if I had not become a missionary to a primitive people in those back-of-beyond places. So it was, indirectly for Christ's sake, and the thought comforted me, as I had to spend many hours just seated in the truck as the trip continued. I had plenty of time to ponder. It might seem absurd to some to appropriate such a wonderful verse to oneself for such a paltry trial as a few minutes of humiliation. Obviously, Paul was referring to the terrible arena experiences of his day when Christians were thrown to the wild beast to make a Roman holiday. And yet, as Amy Carmichael points out, our Lord stoops to our small cries as well as to our great ones. I had cried to him, and that verse had flashed back to me like an answer. A spectacle for him? Was I willing? Through the several years which followed, years of war strain and danger, this thought kept returning to me. The different trials of us Christians in the 20th century are like so many platforms in the world's arena of today. The unbeliever looks on at our struggles and is only impressed or influenced if he sees the power of God working there. The purpose of the arena experience is not for our punishment. It is that God might be revealed. George Matheson had an arena experience, and because of this impending calamity, his fiance broke their engagement. That alone would make him a spectacle. But the comforting power of his God came down upon him at that dark hour, lifted him to spiritual vision, and caused him to write, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee, O light that follows all my way, I yield my flickering torch to thee, O joy that seeketh me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee, O cross that lifted up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust life's glory dead, and from the ground their blossoms red. Life that shall endless be. That spectacle of brilliant, soon-to-be sightless young man, forsaken by his earthly love, yet bathed and upheld in Christ, has halted many a sinner in his way. George Matheson's blindness has revealed God to many another. It was not given to punish Matheson. It was allowed to manifest the power of God to bring blessing to the world. So God taught me through the years to view my own trials as platforms in today's arena. I thought this concept was original with me, but one day my husband found Hudson Taylor had formed the same opinion many years ago. He said, difficulties afford a platform upon which he can show himself. Without them, we could never know how tender, faithful, and almighty our God is. I find it so true. From a bed of sickness, I have had the time quietly to review my life. As I gazed, it seemed that my most valuable lessons had been learned on these platforms. How often I have failed him, I do not like to think. But of his tenderness and faithfulness, there was never an end. As you read, I pray that you may not focus on how dark the trial, but rather on the power of God that was manifested there in the emergence into light. Chapter 2 The Uncongenial Work Moody Bible Institute is located in an old, crowded district of Chicago to be a witness. Needless to say, great care is taken to protect its young women students, and the Employment Bureau examines the places of work to which the Institute girls are sent. Jobs, of course, must be part-time and at hours that do not clash with class instruction. This narrows the field of possible employment. I was assigned as a noon-hour rush waitress in a large wholesale house. This firm had a restaurant for its customers, but I was not sent there. I was sent into the restaurant for the employees, a servant to the servants. The employees' restaurant was decidedly second class, and as it was about a thousand employees all wanting lunch immediately, rush hour help was necessary. The regular waitresses were mostly big women six feet or more. They boasted that they could carry five dinners, from soup to coffee and dessert, at one time. I staggered under two. More than that, there was a shortage of dishes, especially coffee creamers. The latter were so few that there was a continual fight behind the scenes to get possession of them. But we dared not serve an order without them. It was not our work to wash dishes, but in order to get possession of the creamers, we had to grab a dirty one, wash it, and then fill it. This, of course, delayed us. Every day there was this struggle to get hold of the needed creamers. I once had a manager swear at me and actually kick me because I was slow in filling his order. I was searching for a creamer. that was the only reason we all had to wear white uniforms. These were clean every day, but not mended. The regular waitresses arrived early, picked out the good uniforms, and left the old torn ones to rush our girls. Frequently, I had to wear one originally attended for one of the six footers, so of course it came down to my toes and bulged over my shoulders. You were made a spectacle to all men was literally fulfilled. With a torn sleeve and an apron nightgown of length, I was literally a spectacle, but my sense of humor carried me over such a little matter. The inability to carry more than two dinner orders on one tray and the delay caused by the shortage of creamers were of much more concern. The waitresses and the male cooks were obviously what is called a tough gang. They needed the gospel if anyone did, but there was never any time to talk. We truly were rush hour girls. Gradually, the other waitresses became friendly, and one big strapping woman in particular used to greet me each day with a thunderous clap on the back and a hail, "'How the blank are you today, little girl?' I braced myself when I saw the big hand stretched out to come down, but it was meant for an affectionate greeting. I was glad that someone felt kind towards me, and again, the ludicrousness of it brought a grin. In the summer vacation of 1925, I went to my maternal aunt in Canada. But during the summer of 1926, I worked most of that hot season. The weather got very humid and the fumes of the kitchen were nauseating. All year I'd worked there and I was tired. So the heat, the smells, and the rush began to affect me physically. There was one hot morning in July and August when I struggled into my uniform praying for strength to get through the two hours. I was feeling ill before I even stepped into that hot, smelly kitchen where the orders had to be filled. Then came a moment when I was filling a coffee cup at the big broiler-like tureen. The room began to go around and I knew I was going to faint. I had a vision of falling under that open tureen, the boiling coffee steaming down on my unconscious form. So I gave a quick cry in my heart. Lord, help me to get the tureen turned off first. Instantly, a most wonderful thing happened. I felt the Lord himself come and stand behind my left shoulder. He put his right hand on my right shoulder and a tingle shot through me from head to foot healed completely. I calmly turned off the tureen, stood for half a second in a deep, unspeakable worship and commune with him, and then he was gone, and I turned to my tray. Not only had the nausea and the fainting left, but a wonderful exhilaration thrilled me through. I seemed to fly rather than walk. I lifted above all my circumstances until it seemed that I was an onlooker at my own body in this ill-fitted uniform serving the tables. That exhilaration and physical refreshment lasted for days. I told no one of this experience. It was too intimate, too personal, too sacred, to share with anyone. It was no product of the imagination. I had only cried for strength to turn off to ter- the terrene, and my fainting mind certainly never pictured anything more than the mercy to faint, where I would not be scalded. But much more had been given. In this uncongenial work he had revealed himself. He had exhibited the power of his resurrection, More than 30 years have passed, but the blessing of that experience is still one of my rich treasures. Only once again did he come to me in a presence that would be felt, and that was in my early years in China. I've hesitated to tell of this experience, lest it might stumble others who have never had such a thrilling manifestation. You are no less his because you have not had it. It is now more than 20 years since I myself has known his presence in this way. And yet I know He is still as close to me as He was then, and even dearer to me because I have had 30 more years of proving His love and faithfulness. Whether or not you have had such a manifestation of Him is not important. The important thing is, how are you acting? Are you bitter and resentful that you must live and work under such circumstances? Are you asking to be conformed to His image, seeking fellowship with Him in this human suffering, watching for His resurrection power to be manifested? Confident that you will know him better when the discipline is past, and to be satisfied with that? The circumstances will pass in time, but the revelation you will receive of himself, his love, and his power will enrich you forever. Do not misunderstand me. I do not say that you will be a better Christian afterwards. I do not even say you will be a stronger Christian afterwards. I do say you will be a richer one. There was a sequel to my uncongenial employment. One day, almost at closing time, a lady came in and sat down, motioning for me to serve her. She was obviously high in the employment of the company and wore expensive rings. I filled her order and had to wait until she finished her meal in order to clear the table. By that time, we were alone, and she spoke to me. "'Who are you?' she asked. "'I've been watching you for several weeks. Always you are sweet and smiling, and with a grimace. I know this place. No one else is happy here. What is your secret?' I could hardly believe my ears. Here was the opportunity I thought could never come. Quiet and leisure to give a a clear testimony. Of course, I told her that the Lord Jesus had saved my soul and became my life. I used to believe that, she answered sadly, but no woman can go straight in this place. Being on vacation from college, I was in no hurry to return to the Institute. The result was that she once more held out her arms to him, who has vowed never to cast out any soul that comes to him. She came to see me and enrolled as a student in the evening school. She gave me a beautiful opal ring for a remembrance. It would be nice to tell you that platforms always result in souls saved, but I have no authority to say that such food will be revealed to us. The word says that we will be a theatron, which is a Greek uh, drama, to men and angels. Some of our most painful platforms may have no human witness, In that case, we should remember the significant words and angels. I am sure that the suffering of the saints, while its purpose is to teach us more of himself, to develop and enrich us, also bears fruit in other lives. But that we leave with him. Of one thing we can be sure, our Lord is tenderly generous to us, even when we are in platforms of uncongenial task. All he needed to do was to answer just what I asked, Strength to remain standing until I got the coffee boiler turned off. It would have been more than I requested if he had merely strengthened me to to stagger through those two hours without fainting. But what a wonderful, abundantly above he gave. To give me an experience of, as it were, his physical presence, fleeter than the thought in coming. To give me that inner exaltation which lifted me above the hot, humid kitchen with its nauseating odors. Observers could see only a perspiring rush-hour girl hurrying through her task they could not see the blessed fellowship with him which was within. So we may take heart when we are tempted to pity some other child of God who seems to be oppressed over much. Remember, you cannot see the inner releases the Lord is able to give. Next time will be Chapter 3, Secret Choices. I love you. I'm praying for you. Bye-bye for now.